You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Well, good evening. How's everybody doing? Glad you're here. We've got the lights up. I can actually see you guys. So, uh, welcome. Welcome to Renew Life Church. If this is your first time here with us, uh, we welcome you. Can we give all of our first time guests a round of applause? Say welcome. Thank you so much for, for coming tonight. And uh, I was. I was telling, I looked over to Leanne and some guys in the front row, and I was like, we actually get to do this twice. We get to stay for the 6 o'clock. So if you're a super Christian, you can stay too. If you're just a normal Christian, go home and watch football or whatever. Anyway, no, we're super glad you're here. Uh, I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, we're, we've got, I've got so much I want to share. There's no way I'm going to get to everything that I want to share. But um, I, um, I want to talk about worship. I want to talk about worship today. Uh, this is actually something that's been on my heart uh, for about three weeks is to talk about worship. It's interesting how, um, it's interesting sometimes how people see you. This last week I was with my pastor uh, in Arlington and we had some meetings with multiple different churches and we were just talking about things and life and leadership and what God was doing here and a couple different times he made the comment he said, man, you would, you would love this guy or you would love this church. And then he would go on to describe this church or this leader. And, uh, and, and after a couple times of him saying that, I just had the thought, um, I, I wonder what he thinks we're like. Uh, sometimes that's just a healthy thing to do. Ask someone you respect actually how you're doing. Don't just assume you know how you're doing or what you're like. Ask someone uh, that you respect. And as my pastor, I do that with him regularly. And I said, hey, so I'm just curious when you think of our church, when you think of the kind of church that we are, uh, what do you think? Like, what, what do you think about our church? What, what is something we carry with, that you look at? And, I mean, without hesitation, one of the first things he said is you're a worshiping church. You're a worshiping church. And uh, I couldn't think of a much better compliment that he could give that we are a worshiping church because it means as a church we're keeping the focus where the focus belongs. And... but. I want to talk about worship because as if you were here a couple of weeks ago when I talked about first fruits, I made a statement about how a natural response to the gospel, when you encounter Jesus, when you encounter the goodness of Jesus, that a natural response to Jesus and, and, and hearing the gospel is that all of a sudden we becomes more important than me. We becomes more important than me. And if I'm just being really honest, as it pertains to worship, I care, more, I care more about where we go as a church in worship than I do about where I go in worship. I care about where we are going. And the Bible says in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, it says, can two, walk, can two people walk together unless they agree on the direction? Can two walk together unless they agree on the direction? And as it pertains to worship, there's a lot of things uh, that can be said about worship, how we do worship, how other people do worship, and I, I'm going to probably say some things that are a little bit controversial here for just a second. Um, we have to be willing as, as followers of Jesus to always make sure that we are adjusting our behavior to the Bible, not the Bible to our behavior. We're always adjusting our behavior to the Bible, not, our, not the Bible to our behavior. And I want to say this, uh, there's a word that came up in my spirit that 
I, I, I just want to just get it out there. Like I said, it's probably going to rub some people the wrong way, but you'll be all right. Denominationalism. Denominationalism, not denominations or people. I'm not against people. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not against people. Turn to your other neighbor and say, me either. <laughs> We're not against people. But denominationalism is a dedication to a denomination or a set, say set, a set of ideals. And what, what bothers me about denominationalism and a dedication to a set of ideas is that the ideas are set. And the whole concept of a denomination is at some point, someone, somewhere came to the conclusion that they had figured it out, they wrote it out, and then they stopped learning and they stopped growing. Denominations begin when our willingness to continue learning ends. <laughs> so again, I'm, I'm not against people. I, it's something the Lord's been talking to me a lot about is in church leadership, in church, uh, when you're planting churches and different things like that, I, I've been just reaching out and, and trying to learn as much as I possibly can right now with, with us planting other campuses and there's uh, lots of other good things on the horizon. Um, I've, I've been researching and going and talking to different people that are doing some of this stuff. And one of the things that I've been hearing a lot of, and if I'm being quite honest, it's kind of rubbed me a bit the wrong way, is uh, leaders with good intentions say, before you move forward in planting churches, you need to identify your culture. You need to identify who you are and define who you are. So that anybody that comes in, you can clearly explain to them who you are. Here's the problem with that. If I'm following Jesus, who I am today is not going to be the same guy that's next week and next month. So although I understand that there, are, there is some wisdom in, in, in ways of trying to find a way to reproduce culture, and when I say culture, I'm talking about Bible culture and kingdom culture, things that are not great. I, I understand trying to come up with solutions to do this as quickly and as effective as possible, but I think you have to be more careful in the area of denominationalism that, and let me just say this, non-denominational can get denominationalism in it. Just because you're non-denominational or interdenominational. See, inadvertently sometimes a non-denominational church will also have a set of ideals as well. And one of the things that they often set as their ideals is we're not denominational. <laughs> and they'll use that on, and, and come up on a platform of pride to look down on denominations. Please hear my heart. That's not what I'm after. We're not against people. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not against people. Turn to your other neighbor and say, he said it twice now. He means it. Yeah, he means it. What's my point? We've all come from so many different backgrounds. That's one of the things I used to do when we used to do a membership class. I would say, hey, raise your hand if you were raised Baptist, and raise your hand if you were raised Methodist, and raise your hand if you were raised Church of Christ. And I would do that just to show everyone in the room how different we all were raised and what different backgrounds we all came from. And it was always interesting to see the, the, the plethora of, uh, of places that people came from. But I, I'm, I'm introducing this idea of and wanting to talk about worship and denominationalism because can we all just say that moving forward, let's just see what the Bible says about worship and adjust. Would that be okay? 
and let's just remove this, well, I was always taught that, or I always believed that, or the worst one, I just feel, or I just think. You see, it's, I can't attach faith to something that's not the word of God. I can see something happening, or I can see someone do, doing something and ask the question, why are they doing that, or why is it that way? And if, it, if, if, the, next, if the explanation includes, well, Dr. Phil says, or Oprah says, or the Republican Party says. <laughs> See, I, I can't have faith in that. I can believe in them and, hope, and, and, and want the best for all the organizations, and I can learn from a lot of people. I can even learn from people that don't even follow Jesus. They, too, were made in the likeness and image of God, and the gifts of God are without repentance. Sometimes you see somebody, they're just so stupid. And you're like, man, you are so stupid to have that much God in you somewhere. I... <laughs> so as it pertains to worship, we have to, all of us, myself included, us non-denominational churches as well, decide that let's just read the Bible and adjust. Let's just hear the Holy Spirit make this word become alive. Allow him to let this word become alive and let it... You know, Give him access. We talked about this during worship. Give him access to tinker with anything you think right now. Give him permission to adjust anything that you say you believe. And let's just make sure we're adjusting our beliefs and our behavior as it pertains to worship to the Bible, okay? I, I'm going to cruise through some of this. Um, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just what the Lord has shown me thus far. And so um, I've got five things that our worship is influenced by. Our worship, how we worship, is actually influenced by a, a variety of things. And the first thing I wanna to bring to your attention is our worship is influenced by our understanding. Our worship is influenced by our understanding. Has it ever, have you ever wondered, is it biblical to sing or to dance or to clap or to jump or to shout? or to do some of the things, is it biblical or is it just charismatic? You ever wondered that? Well, I did. <laughs> Psalm 149.1 says, praise the Lord. Notice I said Psalm 149, not Braden 149, not Renew Life Church 149. It's Psalms 149, it's in the Bible. It says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. And his praise in the assembly of the saints. So where is it saying to sing? In the assembly. <laughs> Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the hip-hop dance. <laughs> Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the heart. I'm thankful for uh, advances, advancements in technology where we don't just have timbrels and harps anymore. I'm sure they're great. I like the others. It says, for what? The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Singing is biblical. Dancing is biblical. Playing instruments is biblical. Where? When saints come together in the church. See, that. now you can attach your faith to that. 
you can say, well, hang on, my denomination and my denominationalism ideas told me that we don't do these things in church. But I think we all agreed earlier that we're not going to adjust our Bible to our beliefs, or our, our Bible to our behavior, but our behavior to the Bible, right? Lamentations 2.19, NIV, arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger every street corner. Lifting your hands. Psalm, one, or Psalm 47, 1 and 2 says, come everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise for the Lord most high is awesome. He is the great, he is the great king of all the earth. Again, is singing, dancing, instruments, shouting, clapping, raising your hand. Is that charismatic or is it biblical? It's biblical. L let me say this too about, uh, about worship. Worship is not something someone is gifted to do. This worship team up here tonight, they might be talented. They might have a talent to sing. They might have a talent to play an instrument, but they were not gifted to worship. You go back and read Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, something I talk a lot about, you'll find an exhaustive list of all the gifts that God gave to men. Some are fathering gifts, some are Jesus ministry gifts, some are Holy Spirit gifts, and not in one of those areas is there a gift of worship. Why? Because worship is for everyone, not the gifted. Now, I'm thankful that I'm thankful that we have talented people. Like Cody pointed out, we, we want talented people. But worship is not a, a gift. Let me tell you another thing worship is not. Worship is not a personality trait. Worship is not a personality trait. In other words, it's like, well, some people are just more wired for worship. I'll get to that one in a minute. Simply put, sometimes your worship will often indicate your understanding. I, I'm, I'm just a believer that if you're here, you want to believe the Bible. You want to follow the Bible. You want to follow Jesus. And it's amazing how sometimes when you just understand what the Bible actually says about worship, it unlocks worship in you. These things are biblical. Number two, faith. Your worship is often influenced by your faith. There's more than just knowing about worship. There's believing in worship to the point that you actually worship. Faith says, I believe in worship so much that I'll actually worship. Let me read a story to you in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. This is the story of Paul and Silas in prison. It says, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around. See, this, these are the kinds of scriptures that pastors, we, we cling to. I have a right sometimes to be annoyed by crazy people. Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful, unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. 
The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in socks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and doing what? Singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I want to keep this very simple because I have uh, more to cover, but there's at least one point to this story that I want you to get. Worship is effective in taking you from losing to winning. How many of you guys would agree? Paul and Silas were losing. They had been arrested. They had been beaten with rods. They had been flogged and they had been thrown into prison. Simply put, they were losing. Then they did two things. They prayed and they worshiped. They prayed and they worshiped. I love how they kept it, the, the, the author here and even the Holy Spirit saw fit to, let's just keep it simple so you don't miss the point. They were losing, they prayed and worship, and now they are winning. Amen. <laughs> Her earthquake came, shook all the, 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 the doors open and everyone's chains came loose. See, here's what faith says, okay? If they were losing, started worshiping, and then started winning, if God did it for them, he'll do it for me. You can be losing, again, I'm trying to just keep this super simple because this applies to so many different areas. You can be losing. Have you ever looked at your bank account and realized, oh, I'm losing? (laughs) Have you ever been in a conversation with your wife and you realize I'm losing? Have you ever got a call from the school and the principal said, your kids are losing? (laughs) Have you ever got a note from the doctor or an email from the doctor that says your body is losing? Sometimes we can overcomplicate it. There are so many times where we are, we're just losing and things don't look good. Paul and Silas were losing. Things didn't look good, but they worshiped and started winning. I propose to you, try something different with your money. Stewardship aside, try something different when you're, when you're, when you're looking into your bank account and say, I'm losing, start worshiping for what you do have instead of complaining about what you don't have. You might be surprised if your bank, that your bank, bank account might start winning in your marriage, instead of trying to explain and explain and re-explain when you're losing, why don't you worship? Why don't you begin to worship? I mean, I'll just be honest with you. You wanna talk about a, a tug of war of reality. Next time you're in a fight with your husband or your wife, just say, you know what I think we need to do? I think we just need to worship. <laughs> I can see how that one's gonna go. Oh, we'll worship, all right, after you say you're sorry. The next time you get a call from the school 
about your kids and the shame starts to come on you about what kind of parent you haven't been, all the things maybe you haven't done, and the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, starts accusing you, why don't you fight his accusations with your worship? Paul and Silas were losing. They started worshiping, and they started winning. Again, I don't want to overcomplicate this. I just want you to understand that sometimes our worship is an indication of our faith. Faith sees the word. Faith does the word, even when doing the word seems ridiculous. It will seem ridiculous to worship when you don't have enough money, when you're in a fight with your husband and your wife, when the school's calling, when the doc, it will seem ridiculous, but it also will seem like faith. The Bible tells us that when the Son of Man comes, he's looking for one thing and one thing only. He says, will he find faith? He's looking for faith. Number three, fear. Fear will often dictate your worship. And when I say fear, I'm, I'm primarily talking about, in this particular instance, fear of man. Fear of man. Sometimes we care more about what other people think about us than we do about giving the one worthy of the worship, the worship that he's due. Uh, you can see this more, you can see this when it comes to praying for the sick. In Mark 16, starting in verse 15 there, it talks about how these signs shall follow him who believes. They, they, if believers lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We know those scriptures exist. But I, I want you to know, when, when it comes time for you to go pray for someone who's sick, anybody, anybody ever prayed for someone who's sick? Anybody ever, here, I'm going to get more participation. Who's ever thought about it and went, nah? <laughs> I was, we were having lunch the other day. It was me and Keith and Natalie and Leanne. We were having lunch. We were talking about some stuff. And all of a sudden, Keith started acting all weird, and, which is not that abnormal. But he's, <laughs> he's, he's just act kind of all like, he's kind of positioning his body language around. And I'm just like, is he going to go to the bathroom? What is this deal? And finally, all of a sudden, he goes, dead gummit. And he just gets up and walks over to this table behind us. And there's a guy in crutches and he's got a, a knee brace on and apparently the Lord had been dealing with him about praying for this guy ever since we walked in. It's not that we don't believe we're supposed to pray for the sick. We're just afraid. We're just afraid. We're afraid of what other people might think and sometimes we're more afraid of what if it doesn't work. And sometimes I, I feel the same way about worship. It's like it's not that we don't think we should worship, we're just afraid. It's not like we don't, some, I mean, let's just be honest. When you get in the presence of the Lord, things start happening on the inside of you. I, I was watching some of you during worship, and, and it was taking everything you had to stand still. You were doing a good job of it, but I mean... I love watching some of y'all because y'all fight it for a long time and then all of a sudden the toe just starts. <laughs> you know something's going on, but then there's just that fear. Something's just like, no, don't, you better stop tapping that toe. And dang sure don't lift your hands. Dang sure don't clap. Dang sure don't worship. Dang sure don't yell. I think it's one of the things that we have to acknowledge that sometimes it's not that we don't know we should, it's just that we are, we're afraid and, and, and maybe even afraid that what if I raised my hand and nothing happened? What if I went a little further than I've ever gone and nothing actually happened? Sometimes we might be more afraid that we don't get the result we were hoping for. 
But can I just say that's faith? We're back to faith. We're back to doing things that make us just cringe on the inside and think, you know, I, I was listening to a story the other day and uh, this pastor was telling the story about how there was this woman who had been to their church for a while and she was just a crazy worshiper. She was screaming and yelling and stomping and she'd always come to the front and do it like right, he would be sitting right there and she'd come stand like right in front of him and just be going bonkers. And he said, he goes, I'm, I'm for worship, but I mean, come on. And he said, I, she just kept getting on his nerves, on his nerves, on his nerves, more and more and more. And finally, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go talk to her. I'm just, I'm just going to go talk to her about what's going on. And he said, hey, after the service one day, he walked over to me and said, hey, he said, um, so why do you worship like that? Like, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> and she said, well, I, I guess I don't know. She said, I, I came out of, and if I, th- I think I've got the details of the story pretty right. She said, I, I came out of sex trafficking and prostitution, and, and my, life, I, I, my life did not always look like this, and something happens. When I just think about where I come from. See, this was a, this was a woman worshiping from a different position. And you had this pastor, thank God, was humble enough to admit he was just afraid of how, how it looked and what it made other people think about. I, I think sometimes our worship is often less indicative of what we believe and more indicative of what we fear. Number four, for many of us, uh, our worship is just indicative of our, of our experience. We don't mean anything by it. We just, that's just the way we were trained. That's just the way we were taught. We didn't, we, we, when we went to church, this is just what we did, did or that we, this is what we did not do. And so it's just become a, a natural thing. In fact, in Proverbs eighteen seventeen, it actually says this. It says, the one who states his case first seems right until another comes and examines him. Oftentimes, we've been influenced by the first influence in our life. And this, to me, this is actually not a a negative thing. This is actually very positive. And I want to talk to the moms and the dads in here for a little bit. Maybe you didn't come up in a culture of worship, but you have an opportunity to change what your children hear first, to change what your children see first and activate and activate the word here where it's like, wait a minute, because this, this is actually part of parenting. Sometimes you train your kids to do something that they will understand later. We actually do this in our children's classes. Every, we, we actually teach on worship and we, we teach on scriptures about clapping your hands and we teach on the scriptures about dancing and, and we do all these little funny things in there. Why? We don't really care if they understand why they're doing it. We just say, hey, this is what the Bible says. Let's just do it. In other words, let's just obey. And let's just create the habits. Let's make it their experience. Let's make it what they were trained to do so that one day when their cognitive abilities catch up, they're like, wait a minute, this is more than just what I was told to do. This is something I wanna do. This is something I believe in. This is something he's worthy of. This can be a really positive thing by by being a culture of worship. We can be impacting the kingdom of God for generations to come. I'll tell you one thing too, once you've experienced the presence of God and you've been in worship, you, you can't have it any other way. 
I love Exodus 33, 15. Y'all don't have this scripture because I just wrote it down in the middle of worship. I was just reminded of this, where Moses told the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, don't even send us. If your presence isn't coming, don't, even, don't, don't you even think about it. Why? He had, cre- he had experienced the presence of God. And he became aware of the fact that I don't want to do it without this. And I propose that if we'll become moms and dads and leaders, spiritual mothers and fathers that create cultures of worship in our kids where they encounter the presence of God on a regular basis, this world out here that we're so afraid of sometimes, I think we'll see more and more. They'll just compare what they see to what they already have and go, nah, nah, not that attractive anyway. Oh, you want to get drunk? Bro, I've been drunk since Sunday. Sometimes your worship just indicates your experience. And I'll I'll close with this. Your worship will indicate your thankfulness. Oftentimes your worship is just simply an indicator and it's influenced by your thankfulness. Luke 7 verse 36 is one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman came from that city, heard he was there eating. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. I think, Bethany, this is what you were reading in the creative arts version, I think. Uh, That's what I call it. (laughs) Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Love that. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. He said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon says, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look, this woman kneeling here, when I entered your home, you didn't even offer to wash the dust from my feet. But she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. I propose to you that oftentimes our worship or lack thereof, our response to him is an indicator of how much credit we give him. This woman was very aware of what she had been forgiven of because her sins were many. But I propose to you, whether it was one sin or one million sins, the wages of sin is death. So whether you were just forgiven one or a million, we were all forgiven death. And I think sometimes we're over here counting how much we've been forgiven. No, one. We've all been forgiven one, death. We were forgiven death and we were given life. I, there were two, two seasons in my life where, uh, unique seasons of worship in my life as it pertains to worship. The first one was just, honestly, it's a bit of an act of obedience and faith. And I would read in scripture 
where the Bible would talk about David was a man after God's own heart. And then they would describe different things that David did and his personality. And I realized that although I wanted to be a man after God's own heart, my, my personality in some ways was not a lot like David's. And so I, I was trying to dispel the myth that I explained to you earlier where this is, worship is not a personality trait. And so I was reading th- different things that David would do. And I remember I had been in a season of waiting on the Lord and laying before the Lord. And I remember the first time I thought about laying before the Lord, I thought, this is ridiculous. This is, this is the most awkward thing. And I would go into the sanctuary when no one was there before church. And I would put uh, earphones on. I'd still be in my PJs. And uh, I'd come in super, super early. And, and I would lay on the floor. I'd lay on the stage. I would lay on different parts of the sanctuary. And I would just lay on my back and worship. I was worshiping because I wanted something. I was worshiping because I wanted, I wanted to be known as a man after God's own heart and I wanted to be someone that didn't get stuck and this is not my personality, this is not who I am. I wanted to become something more than I had ever been. So my worship had a purpose. There was an intentionality behind my worship and I remember times when, one, one particular time where there was a guest bass player uh, that week and I did not realize I was so ingrained in worship uh, I, my eyes were closed and I was laying actually on right in this area over here of the stage and I was just laying on my back and I actually was worshiping in tongues and all of a sudden I got this weird feeling like somebody else was in the room and I was like Lord is this is this you and so I opened my eyes and it was not the Lord it was the bass player <laughs> he's like hey man I'm just here to play bass <laughs> but it was it was those moments and it was in that moment that I actually had my my first and only thus far visitation from the Lord and it changed my life forever this visitation from the Lord came because I worshiped for something shortly thereafter I began to just pursue God and and I began to study the grace of God and study the finished work of the cross and the Lord really had that on my heart to study just look at Jesus look at Jesus look at grace look at grace look at the person of Jesus and I began to encounter Jesus in such a radical way. This is a lot of times it was in my study and in, in, in my office, and I'd be studying and studying Jesus. And honestly, as I as I beheld Him, I was overwhelmed with thanksgiving because the more I saw what He did for me, the more thankful I was. And what would often happen is I would get to the point where my study I could no longer continue just to read the Bible. I had to worship the one that the Bible was written after. And I would find myself going straight from studying to literally just slithering into the floor, sobbing, crying in worship. And I'll just say this, at that moment, I was no longer worshiping for something. I was worshiping from something called thankfulness. I propose to you that if you really want your worship to change, look at Jesus more often. Look at Jesus more intently and actually see what he did for you in its fullness. That's what Jesus was trying to get across to this person. He's like, this this woman, the reason she's acting the way that she's acting, she's not trying to get something. She knows she's already gotten something. She recognizes who I am. She recognizes what I was sent to do. She's not worshiping to get anybody's attention. She's just worshiping from a heart of thankfulness. An increase in your awareness of what Jesus has done will result in an increase in worship. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. 
If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.